0: Father God, would you please now speak to us through your word. And would you touch our hearts and our minds that we might hear you and be changed. Amen. Well, why do followers of Jesus want other people to become followers of Jesus? I remember a conversation that I had with the mother of one of my college friends. She was asking why I was going to work as an assistant in a parish in East London after university. I said I wanted people to know about Jesus because they needed Jesus. And she said to me, Malcolm, how arrogant. Isn't it arrogant to think that what you believe is better than what the next person believes? They have their own faith and their own ways of doing things. And wouldn't we believe what they believe if we had been brought up where they had been brought up? And when we try to convert people, doesn't that end up with the Crusades or the Inquisition? people trying to make other people believe what i believe even if it means using a sword or a gun have not whole populations been baptized by force that's no different to organizations like boku haram claiming that the girls they've kidnapped have converted to islam because they've said the necessary words and what about our own nations imperialist history We're told that the missionaries went with the gospel and they were backed by the gunship. The soldiers imposed British law and order on the pagan natives. The missionary instilled British values among the pagan natives. That is, I think, a skewed reading of history. Yes, some of the missionaries were like that. But many were not and certainly those who go now are not. Many of those who go, don't go in strength but in weakness. They don't go as rulers but as servants. They choose to live alongside to who, um, the people to whom they go, to get to know them, to live like them, to share their dreams, to suffer with them, to serve them and to offer them the word of life. But because there is this assumption that it is, that it is arrogant for people to tell other people of Jesus... Our idea of mission has become centred on doing works of mercy for others. We see it in our giving. Christians will give sacrificially to the hospice, to disasters when they occur, to relief agencies. But we don't really give to those missions that are committed to proclaiming the message of Jesus to all nations. St. Francis of Assisi is repeatedly quoted in this context. Uh, He was a great, great man, a great preacher, and a great man who went around doing works of mercy. But on one occasion he said something which has just been repeated and repeated and repeated. He said, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. One lecturer said, um, you know, he said, when I get to heaven, he says, and I see St. Francis, first of all, I will bow before him and then I will throttle him for using those words. And one wag from the back of the class said, and use hands if necessary. (laughs) So why should we speak to others of our faith? Why should we seek to make people followers of Jesus here or overseas? Well, today we look at Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all I have taught you. It's called the Great Commission. And I would argue that this passage gives us three reasons why we should go and make disciples. The first reason is this. It is the risen Jesus who commands us to go. Christian mission depends on a fact and a command. It was the risen Jesus who stood in front of his followers in Matthew 28. They had watched him die on a cross, and now he's standing in front of them, alive. Paul, writing to the early Christians, says, The gospel is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. On the third day he was raised again in accordance with the scriptures and he appeared too and then he gives a list of people. At the heart of the Christian message is an astonishing truth. 2,000 years ago a Palestinian religious teacher claimed to be the son of God. He spoke with an authority the like of which had not been heard before. He did remarkable things. But the structures and the systems cannot cope with any person who claims to speak as God. So they put him to death and they thought it was finished. But this man was different. He did what no other person has ever done. On the third day, he rose from death, from dead. Having gone into death, he went through death and he came out the other side. I I like the story that's told of the man who drove past a cemetery with his five-year-old beside him. The child noticed a large mound of dirt beside a newly excavated grave. He pointed and he said, look, Dad, one got out. (laughs) The man writes, I laughed, but now every time I pass a graveyard... I'm reminded of the one who got out. That's the fact. Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. It's the basis of mission. We're not in the business of saying to people, here is a set of rules which we want you to obey. That would be arrogant. We want to say to them, here is a person who we really want you to know. When you know him, your life will change. But we can't tell you how. That will be between you and him and his people where you are. This is so very, very important. Our task is not to speak of our faith. People say often, you know, oh, well, I've got to tell others about my faith or speak of my faith. No, that would be arrogant. I'm not here to talk about myself or my faith. If I talk about myself, then I will talk of one who is a sinner, whose motives and desires are very mixed up. I will speak of one who is weak, who sometimes wakes at two o'clock in the morning and wonders how he is going to cope. I will speak of one who speaks before he has listened who is so often paralysed from doing what is right because he is scared of what other people will think of him, of one who loses his temper with his children. I will speak of someone who is self-centred, who has dark thoughts, who is paradoxically both proud and filled with a sense of inadequacy. I'm not here to talk about myself or my faith, how strong it is. I have not risen from the dead. My task in obedience to the command of Jesus is simply to speak of Jesus, of his amazing love, of his death for me, for you, on the cross, of the incredible forgiveness he offers, of the promise of the Holy Spirit, of his resurrection from the dead. Paul writes, we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Our job is not to speak of our faith. Our job is to speak of the faith, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And the second reason for speaking and for desiring to see other people come to Jesus is the authority of Jesus. Jesus. He says here, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The reason that we're called to speak to others of Jesus, to urge them to repent, to follow him, is because he is the one who has all authority over all things. We've read that through. If you read Matthew's gospel, over sickness, over demons, over the forces of nature, over death. You know, he stands in front of Pilate, who says to him, Are you you not going to answer me? Do you not realise that I have the authority to put you to death? And Jesus replies, You would have no authority over me if it was not given to you from above. And it's the name of Jesus alone that can save us. Education can take us so far, religion can take us so far, scientific advance can take us so far, but nobody can break that barrier between, Jesus, between God and people apart from Jesus. Nobody can take sinful human men and women and bring the eternal holy God and bring us together apart from Jesus. Jesus is the key to everything, For everyone. He's the eternal Son of God who was there at the very beginning, and through him all things were made. He is the one who will be there at the end of history, of space and time as we know it, before whom all rulers and authorities, whether here on earth or in the spiritual realm, will need to bow. Of course, He's the key to everything. And Jesus is the hope of our utopian dreams. Tim Keller. Uh, a preacher says in what's an amazingly pregnant sentence he says all our fairy tales are ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus all our fairy tales ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus think think of that one He's the key to the kingdom of heaven. He's the end of our pursuit for freedom, authenticity, beauty, harmony, truth, and for that which can never be shaken. He's the overflowing source of life and love. Let me use two illustrations. The first is this. Imagine an orchestra where everybody is playing the tune at their own speed as they think it is best played and as it most suits them. It sounds dreadful. But one or two people look up and they notice that there is something they have not seen before. There is a conductor. Up to now, she's, she's been ignored. But, but they begin to follow her directions. And as they follow her, they, they begin to realise that she really does know what she's doing, that she knows this tune So they call over to their neighbours. They don't say, follow me, do what I'm doing. Uh, Lots of people in this orchestra are doing that around where they they are. They're saying to other people, follow me, do what I'm doing. Uh, They don't say that. They say, no, don't follow me. Look, look at her. Start following her, the conductor. And gradually, as each person voluntarily submits to the direction of the conductor... The orchestra is liberated to become what it was meant to be. And the music comes alive. Jesus is the conductor of life. When we begin to follow his lead, when we begin to play the tune, we discover it's his tune. And actually the instruments we're playing, he made the instruments. And more than that, he made the people who are playing them. We discover that he's the one who can begin to set us free to live. It's not a question of obeying a set of rules he has imposed on us. He didn't really give us rules to follow. Well, he said two rules. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbour as you love yourself. He gave us a life to live. He calls us to listen to him, to obey him, to put to death our old desires and motives and agendas, to walk with him, to trust his promises, and to seek to be filled by him. He is the one who has the authority of the conductor of life. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my burden on you, take my yoke on you, you might think, what? what's that, taking his yoke? I mean, I've got enough yokes on me already. Actually, what we've got to do is take off those old yokes and put on his yoke. And astonishingly, we find it's fit. We were made to carry it. Or a second illustration. There is the well-known story, I'm sure many of you know it, of the captain of a ship, who saw the light of another ship in the distance. He he sent over the radio a message and ordered the other ship to change course. No, came the reply. You change course. So he sent another message. I am the captain of a battleship. You change course. To which the reply came back. I am a lighthouse. You change course. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority of the lighthouse. We can continue to ignore him, but if we do, we will end up shipwrecked. If we're deaf to his word and refuse to forgive, we will end up knotted and shriveled. If we're deaf to his word and we live for money, for instance, we will end up like our God, cold, hard, and calculating. If we're deaf to his word and judge and condemn others, we will in time discover that we have been condemning and judging ourselves. If we are deaf to his words and refuse to come to him to receive forgiveness and new life and intimacy with God, our boats will shatter against the rocks of despair and death. And Jesus has authority over all people. This is not one of those things that is true for some, but not true for others. Paul writes, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. One day at the end of space and time and history as we know it, we will all answer to him. In the best systematic theology that has ever been written, in my view, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, the last book, C.S. Lewis writes of how every living creature must come and stand before Aslan. If they can look at him with gratitude and love, they go through the door into the stable and into paradise. If they look at him with hatred and fear, they go past the stable, and Lewis writes, what became of them, nobody knows. Why should we pray that others become followers of Jesus? Why should we give so that others become followers of Jesus? Why should we go so that others become followers of Jesus? Why should we speak so that others become followers of Jesus? Why should we be prepared to be embarrassed or rejected so that others become followers of Jesus? Because Jesus is the Lord of all things and all people. He has all authority. And then thirdly, the presence of of Jesus with us. Jesus says here, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We do not worship a Jesus who rose from the dead, went into heaven, who reigns up there and pours down his edicts through his high command, the church and his preachers. We serve a Jesus who came down and lived among us, who knelt down and washed our feet who lay down and allowed them to smash nails through his hands and feet we serve a Jesus who was lifted up but lifted up on a cross this is the mystery at the heart of our faith it is beyond human understanding the one who has all authority is the one who loved us so much that he died for us The one who has all authority, submitted himself to human authority. The one who reigns victorious is the slaughtered lamb of God. And it is this Jesus who is with us. So when we go through hell, and we'll all go through parts of hell, we don't need to despair. We're not alone. There is hope. And when we're crushed or exhausted, we don't need to despair. We're not alone. There is hope. And when we're rejected or ridiculed for the sake of Jesus, we don't need to despair. There is hope. Jesus is with us. The command to go and make disciples is as important now as it was then Yes, we must guard against the arrogance that presumes to preach itself or the arrogance that stands over another and commands them to repent. The place that we do our evangelism, our witness, our preaching, is when we're on our knees in front of another person, washing their feet, not commanding them to repent but urging with them, pleading with them, begging with them to repent and to be reconciled with God. But that fear of appearing arrogant must not, should not, prevent us from wanting and working and giving so that others become followers of Jesus. He is here with us. He does have all authority. He has risen from the dead. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus. And thank you that he gave his life for us. And thank you that he's commanded us to go. And to make followers of him, people from all nations and all peoples. Give us that ability to be faithful to his command. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.